Well, hello there, and welcome back. Today, our guest is a misfit turned chef. He is a uh, also sommelier. He went from uh, peeling potatoes in a basement for free to chain smoking cigarettes on the line while cooking. Gotta love the 90s. To now, he is the executive chef at Malibu Farm. We had a great conversation about uh, restaurant industry, food, wine, and all the above. Um, he's still a de- degenerate at heart, but uh, also a great chef. So without further ado, please give a warm welcome to our friend and guest today, Breck Lawrence. Open up the medicine chest, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to have to shout it out. I don't want my head to fall out. I don't want to be filled with doubt. I don't want to be a good boy scout. I don't want to have to learn to count. I don't want the biggest amount. No, I don't want to grow up. All right, so Chef, <clears throat> give it to me straight. How'd I do? It's great. It's great. Yeah. I, uh, I uh, I'm literally covering the microphone over here while I chew. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, maybe you'll hear this. No, uh, I, I, the first thing I thought of when I ate the gnocchi was, wow, like flavor. And then, and then, uh, then lemon, which I think from a person that, that uh, hasn't had formal training, it, it's, that's, that's, that's great. That's great. There's a lot of, it's complex, you know. And uh, I think the, the sourdough is... That's what you expect. It's what I expect. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's great. And then you're nice enough to bring up. So you're also a level one psalm, right? Small yang. Correct. Sorry, for the first 15 minutes, we're gonna be in and out of chewing, so you just gotta deal with it. <laughs> Is level one the highest or the lowest? Lowest. Okay. Very basic. Excuse how many? Me. How many levels are there? I think there's three. Okay. Hold on. You're 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 talking like over the mic. Okay. Yeah. There you go. So the I think the level one is just kind of your basic entry you know, level. Mm-hmm. Level two get, kind of gets more into um, you know different region. Well, they all do, but more into region and 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 vintage. Mm-hmm. And then the th- the third one gets into more like cocktails and spirits. Oh, really? Stuff like that. Yeah. Now I watched that one uh, documentary. Oh, God, I forget what it was called. But basically, these like sommeliers go for their level three. I think the mm-hmm. highest one. Blind tasting, all that There's this yeah. one guy, uh, he's one of the uh, judges or whatever, and he can literally, he's known for like not even having to taste wines. Yep. He'll, he'll just either look and know or smell and know. Exactly. And, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, to break it down on the most simplest platform in order for people to kind of comprehend that, mm-hmm. that's basically kind of being able to smell a soda and be like, okay, this is Dr. Pepper, <laughs> this is Coke, but I mean, I mean, obviously on a more grander scale. Totally, totally. So like when you go through the whole classes and whatnot, um, you know, for your sound tests, like you have this standardized sheet. So it's, you know, you look, you look, you taste, you smell, you all, and basically it's like an equation. You work backwards. So like you just take all these, all these things that you find in this wine and put it into this equation. And then it kind of gives, it spits you out like, okay, it's going to be this, this, or this, or this and this. And then you use your brain to to put it all together, you know what I mean? So it's like f- trying to figure out a puzzle, basically. Now, what's your favorite, uh, I guess, country for wine? Like, like mm. who, who do you think does it the best? Uh, Italian. I like Old World, so Italian and French. Um, but then it, I, I like to find those, like, one-offs. So, like, right now I'm, like, really into New Zealand, you know, New, New Zealand wines. The Sau Blancs is very, very popular over mm-hmm. there. But if I found a, a shard grape growing in New Zealand, I was like, wow, like, 
crazy different. It, it tastes like if you'd blind test me, I'd have been like, this is a French Burgundy. Huh. Okay. It comes from New Zealand and it's probably 60% cheaper. <laughs> really? Just kind of weighing different, you know, just kind of finding new different things in a different, in a different environment. Where, where do you go to become a sommelier? Um, it's a very good question. So I think most people, I would say most sommeliers work in restaurants or high-end uh, wine stores before they become exactly okay. and you just be, you just fall into this kind of weird culture of of tasting wine and once you're exposed to like hey have a glass of this hey have a glass of this and a lot of times it's like okay this isn't this is the 99 this is the 2000 this is the 2001 this is 2003 you know just kind of layering what's what's in your in your in your brain i guess and remembering things and you know all that kind of stuff but it's more of a culture kind of thing and once kind of you find that niche group that you like to hang around with it's like it's just like talking sports with your buddies at the bar, you know. It's yeah. just like talking. So there's no like formal sommelier training. Oh, there is, there no, is, no, there, there is, there is, is yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. He's saying to kind of like get into that network, okay. once, and then and then where do you go for but, the? But the then once you have that, you sign up through this thing called the United uh, uh, United Sommelier Group for the United States. It's very, it's in Austin, Texas. The, this one guy runs it. He's like, you know, God kind of feel. Um, is he the guy who can smell? Exactly, exactly. Okay. I think there's like. 35 like master psalms in the world. I don't he's, know. He's like the Houston Astros. <laughs> so no, just, no, yeah. Breaking ball. <laughs> Fuck the Astros. <laughs> now, like, let's say someone's listening and, and they go like, you know, I, I've always wanted to try to get into wine or mm-hmm. whatever. And maybe they have a developed palate where they're kind of like, I'm kind of buying shit and I don't know how to get out of that rut. Sure. Or maybe they just don't even know. Just What's a good way to kind of go to a liquor store and yeah. just kind of pick out a decent bottle? Definitely ask and, and ask him from, you know, like when you go to a car dealership to buy a new car, you're just not going to be going around and being like, Hey, I want that one. You, you test drive it. You talk to people about it. You read some reviews on things. You kind of feel like, okay, you know what you like, you know what, you know, that kind of the route. But if you want to take that route and go this way or go that way, or, you know what I mean? Like just kind of branch out that way. Um, you can also, um, uh, kind of experiment with, you know, vintages, you know, newer grapes versus older grapes um, makes a huge difference in how well they're stored. And if they're not stored well, you have corked wine, you know, just, there's so many different variables in, in wine tasting. But I think, um, I think just being in the culture is, is a big step for a lot of people. Because mm-hmm. once you're kind of in that culture, it's just, like I'm in a group right now or a, a text group that probably has four or five different people. And we text probably on a di- five, six times a day about random way. Hey, what do you think about this? Or, hey, what do you know about this? Or, I've got this at this place for 40 bucks, and I know we could sell it at the restaurant for six, 600, you know, things like that. A lot, wow. of, a lot of times I love going into small little liquor stores and be like, what do you got back, you know, what's, what's behind the counter? What do, you, what do you got back there? And a lot of times these little kids are running these things. They have no idea what this wine's worth. And you're like, oh, how much, how much is that? Oh, I don't know. 65 bucks, done. I'll buy all of them, you know what I mean? And yeah. then you go home and it's, an amazing wine and you could probably sit on it for you know five six years and probably be worth three four five hundred you know jesus right. now let, let's pretend for a minute that i know nothing about wine sure just pretend what is the difference between older and newer grapes what are you going to get from each so newer grapes definitely have going to have the fruit on it they're going to have the more acidity on it um but also too like young wine an experienced drinker you can 
young wine is going to taste young, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's going to be brighter. It's going to be fresher. It's going to be, you know, like... We're going to end up with Bill Clinton. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what you mean. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, like a good example, like the varietal, you know, Beaujolais is very known for being, okay, this is released within 18 months. You know, it's very new. It's very fresh, but that's what people like for that style of wine. Whereas something like... Uh, um, you know, a Barolo or, a, you know, more of a, an Amarone or something like that needs more time to, to chill out, needs more time to relax, you know, in the bottle and that kind of thing. So it, it develops differently. So there, there are certain styles that taste better older and certain styles exactly, taste better. Exactly, okay. exactly, exactly. A lot of times, you know, the sparklings and the champagnes, you see the non-vintage one, you know, ones. Um, it's for a reason, but then you, you get to some of the older, you know, crazy, like, sub- 95 doms so much more comes out of it because of the of the aging process and also i feel like the majority of people who buy sparkling um there's got to be like synthetic bubbles added to it like usually they aren't as powerful as a fucking lacroix you know? <laughs> right, right right they've got to <laughs> add some kind of synthetic measure to it to kind of get that that extra boost yeah sparkling's weird like it's all about the bubble and and Obviously, the Chardonnay grape is so versatile. So, like, you, sparkling is one of those things. Like, you either love it or hate it. And most most wine people love it. You can't. Someone explained to me once. There's kind of four phases of people that get into wine. The first wine is like, okay, I'm only drinking red wine. Like, <laughs> fuck white, fuck sparkling. Whatever. I'm only red wine. And then after that, once you kind of ride that out for a while, then you're like, I only drink white wine. <laughs> it's all I drink is white wine. And then after that, you kind of get into the the sparklings, the rosés, the kind of weird off, you know, like Hungarian wines, or maybe you'll find like a like a Washington State wine, you know, something kind of one-offs. Um, and then the full circle will be to bring in all those kind of things together and at the end. Are, are you at the, did you go through all those phases? Yeah, yeah. I think, to be honest, I think I'm still in the second phase of I only drank white wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He says as he brings us a bottle of red. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah. so kind of now, kind of since we have a little background slightly of wine. Yeah. Now kind of kind of describe what you brought here and, and why. So this is a 97 Brunello. Um, uh, Mozzie, great producer, great label, very, very classic. Um, I was just going through, I was like, oh, we're going to have some pizza. I like to drink Sangiovese with 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 red sauce, and uh, it's not a super Tuscan, so it's like you, you don't have to have that, I guess, funk or that wood fire kind of thing to it. Um, but it's just a nice drinking wine. It's nice. Drinking yeah, wine. I mean, it's it's excellent. And this, you said this is a new new at grapes. Uh, this is a uh, Sangiovese grape. Sangiovese oh, okay, because it has like a lot of like really good fruit. It's super mellow. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's great. It's, it's you know Mazzi's, uh, um Rafino does a good job, but there it's the labels. It's a very higher end kind of yeah. uh, kind of wine. Now I think uh, this next thing says a lot about you. Um, just like we've been hanging out a lot at the restaurant because it's you know slow and right, now I'm, right. I'm inside too. And you said something recently, and I want you to explain why you said this. Was I remember you said um, you were in a kitchen one time and you saw dudes smoking in the kitchen. They had tattoos and it kind of seemed like a, a lawless place. And you said, "Fuck yeah! Like this is what I want to do." Exactly. Why, why exactly? Like what about that? Yeah. So everyone kind of always asked me, "How do you get in? Or why do you become a chef? Why do you become? How do you, or why did you want to work in restaurants?" Um, so I grew up in Minnesota and kind of rural country. Um, 
and going out to a restaurant was a it was an occasion it was a special event and i was thought i want to have that i want to be a part of that every time you know like it was it was cool for me to like okay we're going out we're going to the city and we're going to a nice restaurant it was it felt cool and then when i got the opportunity you know to work in a restaurant you know i saw these like almost like misfit like like didn't give a fuck tattoos like rolling up the pants like this is like in the mid 90s you know like you know chain smoking on the line like swearing <laughs> just like punk rockers that like cooked food you know and then you look at them you're like wow like or to me i was like that that's so different than what i've you know i guess been used to or been a been a, been around i kind of want to get in that world you know and it was kind of more of a I think you put it culture versus like art versus food set into a kitchen. Anything goes, you know what I mean? You guys work in restaurants before, you know what, what, what that kind of feel is like, you know? It's always surprising the first time you go to work in a restaurant. Right. And like at, at some places it is like, it's kind of like the bad boy who's in the exactly. back of the At a lot of places, the guys in the back of the house are just like dirt bags. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, exactly. These are the people in charge of like yes. making these nice things. <laughs> yes. Like, and they're all dirt bags. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like these guys who are drinking Jägermeister at 3 p.m., you're 29. Stop <laughs> yeah. drinking Jäger. Or it's like some dude in fucking Crocs, and, like, and, the, and the plate comes out, and it looks beautiful, and you're like, there's no way that sack of shit made <laughs> yeah. it. Right, exactly. You know, it's crazy. I've, I've worked in fire nanning, worked in high volume, I've worked in shitty casual counter service type places, and every kitchen that I've ever been to, there's always, you always have... I would say 98% of that dynamic, but then you always have like the one like buttoned up white boy that came straight from culinary school. He, his parents probably, you know, he vacationed to Martha's Vineyard. You Went know, to Cordon Bleu. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, and, and you know, like dude's going to hang around for six, seven weeks and then something's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Something's going to happen and he's going he's gonna to snap. Yeah, the now, back of the house is like the island of misfit toys. Exactly. Right totally. Oh, great. Totally. <laughs> now, you know, cooking is, is definitely an art for art form, which I've kind of realized when, once I moved out of here, started working in restaurants, kind of got obsessed with cooking. Um, and just like stand-up is an art form, I sure. feel like with all art forms, you kind of have to pursue it. Yeah. And as you start to pursue it, you rarely make any money unless you're just extremely lucky. Exactly. And our version of kind of working on our, our trade or our task and not getting paid is doing open mics or doing shows that, you know no one really is going to see or something right now and, and your version of that for cooking was uh you know for instance peeling potatoes in one of uh bourdain's right. kitchens right 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 you know and that was and that was you know it was for school but also too like i sought that out you know and i think it was kind of difficult to get that to be to get that in but yeah i you know for four and a half months in the basement six hours a day peeling, peeling potatoes for free you know like sweating your asses off and, and what do you what are you thinking when you're doing that like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> who, who am I going to bang later? Yeah, what am I yeah. going to pick up? You know, where, what liquor store am I going to go to? You know, all that kind of stuff. But, um, it, like I said, like, line cooks have a, it's just like, okay, throw the wrench in here, throw the wrench in here, throw the wrench in here, and they just go with it. You know, it doesn't matter. Nothing's really planned out ever. It just, things come or things don't come, one or the mm -hmm. other, you know? Um, it's, yeah. not, it's not a group of people who have been doing a lot of planning in their lives. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not <laughs> there's not a lot of goals set for yeah. line cooks. Would you kind of uh, make the correlation that uh, the head chef or the chef de cuisine is the uh, manufacturer in the sense like they designed the Ford Mustang, right? The, the, the chef designed the Ford Mustang. And then the line cooks 
are the assemblymen that are putting the tires in the thing, putting the seats in, you know? That, that's that's an analogy. Uh, people always think, I think, maybe it's kind of, people kind of understand a little bit better nowadays, but I would say even five, six years ago, the common person would say, oh, you're a chef. Like, you cook a lot of food. But I, I've, I've had... I've been executive chef for Chef de Cuisine or some kind of chef management type role for 15 plus years. There's a point when I didn't, wouldn't cook at all, you know, probably for five, six years, you're basically just managing people or managing numbers, but to the, to the common person, oh yeah, you're, you're good, good job. That that tasted awesome, but I had nothing to do with it, you know? Mm -hmm. So to your point would be the chef is kind of the, the last kind of, Barrier from, yeah, the, from yeah, the kitchen yeah. to Almost the like customers. Almost like the architect and the people who are actually building. Exactly, the exactly. Like the, the, then there's the engineers exactly. and the builders. And a lot of times, like, the chef will cook things, the dish one time and expect the cooks to retain and remember exactly the technique was used. And then if that doesn't happen, there's whatever the chef wants to take to make that happen again. Um so it's more like the kitchen runs like very much like the military. That's it's very much an anarchy, not an anarchy, but it's hierarchy. Hierarchy, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, for exactly. Sure. Um, and then you throw in volume into that. You throw in restaurants open seven days a week. You know, is a chef working seven days a week? Sometimes they are. A lot of times they are. But you know, um, I think more nowadays people are willing to be like, okay, I'm going to step back. You know, I'll let you have the reins for these days or that kind of thing and mm -hmm. um, trust. You know. That's something that, like, people who have, you know, the quote-unquote real jobs, like, right. the, like, people I went to college with who've got, like, actual jobs after yep. college, and I'm in a bar, and there were so many of them, they're like, they're making good money, I'm like, dude, I do more work than you, totally. and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a jerk off. Exactly. <laughs> like, you, you, get, you get home from one shift of bartending, and you're just like, fuck, yeah. the hardest night of my life, and then you just, you know, pound a half a bottle of Jameson in two hours, or an hour and a half, and you're I just have like, to, like, beg to get, to get Christmas off. <laughs> exactly. And, and you make 80 grand a year. <laughs> exactly. And you get good Friday off. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and they'll, they'll drink in the office on Fridays, and not exactly. get in trouble. They'll get exactly. sushi delivered. I mean, admittedly, I used to do that, too. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it wasn't allowed. Exactly. <laughs> I had to pretend to hide it. Yeah. I mean, we've all worked in restaurants. I mean, I'm sure the majority of people listening have not. From a chef standpoint, I think we kind of touched on this topic in terms of just trying to be a good customer. But in terms of a chef, I have to put you on the spot. Is there one kind of message that you want to give to a customer in terms of like, hey, listen, I know this is this expensive, but it's that because of X. Or, hey, I know you expected this kind of thing, but this is how it is because of Y. Sure, sure. It's a great question. or It's a great kind of point, but... A very, very, very smart person I've, I've worked with in the past always said, the customer's always right, and you always hear that, but the way he said it was like, it made sense to me. I don't know why or when he said it, but he, um, you know what you like, you know what I mean? And it, 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 the, you should be, or what's, what did he say? The customer's expect, the guest's expectations is, should be 100%, or I can't remember exactly what the mm -hmm. wordage was, but um, basically saying, we need to take care of the guest, you know, top to bottom. And, and I've seen that come full circle in, in, you know, fine dining restaurants and, and more casual everyday kind of things. Um, but when that does happen, you're just like, damn, that, that felt good. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, but I think your question would be like, trust the chef, um, but also trust what, you know, 
what you want. Mm-hmm. Don't, 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 I guess, settle for what you don't want and pay $300 for something that you don't like. You know what I mean? And also, I don't think people realize that, um, let's say, for instance, the, your nurse, new uh, surf and turf mm. dish, which is excellent. It's $58. I think it was 58 yeah. So they're thinking, $58 for surf and turf? Well, it's, it's shrimp and steak. Why is it so expensive? I mean, well, they don't understand that, you know, right now, produce, uh, you know, proteins, very expensive. Right. You know, what we're getting wholesale is probably close to what you're buying at Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Then you have to tack on, uh, you know, who's cooking it and then the, the markup and stuff. Right. And then you, there's a lot of things, variables that people don't even think about, you know, like, insurance for the yeah. insurance for the the staff or electricity bills or um just water water the water bills astronomical exactly just just random things like that and you know mm. our restaurant specifically there's they call them cam charges which is like basically maintenance for the pier like mm-hmm. we pay that um um what other weird things have i seen on like different P and L statements uh all the, a lot of things after the whole market crash in the early two, or the 2000s, like you see a lot of freight fees and things like that. A funny thing when I text my buddies a while ago was we get a, some produce from um, from farmers from Malibu, and one of the invoices was foraging fee fifty dollars. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> like we're already paying. Uh, we paid I think three hundred twenty dollars for two three cases of broccolini. You, you get three cases of broccolini from the produce company. It's going to cost me ninety six dollars. We paid three hundred eighty plus the fifty dollar foraging fee. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. insane. <laughs> Not to mention in West, in restaurants waste. Right. Totally. What a huge cost yeah, that is for between sure. like you know things that you don't use in time. You right. order more of it because. Three weeks ago, a ton of people ordered it, and then pe- some reason people stop ordering as much. Exactly. Um, the, you know, the server puts the order in wrong and doesn't tell you until ten minutes afterwards, so you've already started the dish. Right. Things or, like that. Or COVID happens. You're running a you're running a crazy busy high volume restaurant. All of a sudden, you have maybe fifteen to twenty five thousand dollars worth of inventory in your walk in. That, yeah. shit, that shit goes bad in four days, three days, two days, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, even in a place like uh, California, you, 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 you're ready for a busy week, and now there's fires. and all right, the exactly. <laughs> all that stuff goes bad. That totally. Which happened totally. twice the last two years in Malibu. Exactly. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, basically, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, when someone goes to a restaurant, they kind of have to take into consideration their expectation mm-hmm. and – just the fact that there are there is human error, right? And that you know there's a there's a certain level of meeting my expectation, but also realistically failing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to where you, you kind of have to be understanding. I've always said, I, I've always said, like you know, in the in the '60s and '70s, or whatever they had the draft for Americans. I totally feel. Yeah. Every American should work two years in a restaurant in the service industry. Absolutely. A, to learn what it's like, B, to learn how to go out to eat on the other side of it, and then C, to learn how to tip. Yeah. To Absolutely. Tip. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think it would make a huge difference in, in both ends, you know, being a, being a guest and being a, a worker. It would make a huge edge um, just as a, a, as a broad whole, you know, as a restaurant, I guess, worker or, or a service worker. That's one thing. Like, if I, if I had kids, I would, even if they didn't need jobs, I'd be like, listen – 
you're 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 going to work a service job for totally, a little bit. Totally. You yeah. you have to learn what you're doing to these people. Exactly. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. When, when you cuz you have to know when you walk in 5 minutes before close what a jerk off you are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If if a kitchen if I call or I walk in and I go when is the kitchen closed and they say 15 minutes, all right, I, have a good night. No, yeah. and, and I walk out. Exactly. Because you, in, it's the 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 worst thing you can say is well it's their fucking job. Oh my god. Well, it's the you know, worst. you know what? Like do you understand what kind of job that is? <laughs> right. I mean, th- this is just how I feel. This isn't accurate, but I feel like a waiter and like a cook is on the same stress level as like an ER surgeon. Maybe even more. <laughs> Maybe mean, even more. It's just it's just insane because, like for instance, last night, you know, and and, and also not to mention. You think restaurants function at a, like a high, perfect rate at all times? No. There's always something. We're always driving with one less tire. You have to adjust every every shift, every 10 minutes. There's there's something never 100% correct. Yeah, exactly. Something's always there's, – there's no mint. There's no yeah. – <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Just something. We're 86. I, I, what? Yeah. <laughs> I worked at a place one time as a bartender. I'd have to bring in my own mint and limes <laughs> right. and my own knife to cut the limes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, for instance, you know, last night – we get the majority of our covers, which is basically uh, the same thing as a re- reservation. One cover equals one person, same thing. So we have like 150 covers last night, which the majority come in between 6.45 and 7.15, which I get because, you know, that's when people eat. I get right, it. Right, right, right. So, you know, if your drink takes maybe 10 minutes, just know that one jerk off, me, who's fucking <laughs> dyslexic, is making all the cocktails for the whole restaurant. Right, right, right. You know? Exactly. And, and the, 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 the cooks behind the line, English is their second language. Okay, right. and you're all for immigration and shit. Right, right, right. So, but are you though? <laughs> exactly. But are you though? If your steak comes out medium well, you wanted medium. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. And then to get them to read is even another step. You know, oh, yeah. just to understand English and then read a ticket that's in English with modifications, yes. with something that they've never seen. Like, what does that so? They just they learn these different acronyms to in their mind of being yelled at, okay, this means sauce on the side. Yeah. Right. This means no salt or this means medium rare. This means medium well. Like they don't, that's not part of their culture. That's, that's not something that they grew up with. You know what I mean? And, you know, as like a, a chef, is there one kind of message that you want to deliver to a customer based off of the kind of chef you are in terms of the quality of food and the, the type of food you cook and how you cook it? Yeah. Um, I think if you would ask me that question 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I'd have said like, just fucking order it. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't modify it, you know, trust. But now I get older, I understand, you know, I have kids now. So it's like, you know, my kids are pre- not pretty picky eaters, but I see other kids that are, or I see people that have, you know, the whole, I, I'm, I'm gluten free. I get sick at sick. You know, the big joke in the restaurant world is like, well, what the, you know, they're, yeah, right. Yeah. R- really, you know, yeah. kind of using you know, an excuse, but like, I guess the my message would be a trust the tr- trust the place you're going out and b have fun because if you're not having a lot of times people aren't having fun so like they come with this mentality of like like oh I'm just here to eat or like <laughs> give me my steak you know what I mean like sometimes it feels like people show up just to abuse the exactly staff. exactly that, <laughs> yeah that's, like, that's why, exactly why are you here yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. why really are you are you even, are you even hungry <laughs> exactly Did, didn't you eat before this and you just came to bitch yeah you, you you showed up ordered a salad and a club soda just so you could yell at the waiter <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly exactly spot on so yeah I would say like just have fun like when you go out like have fun know that there's 80 million different variables to make whatever you're ordering come to your table at that specific time, whether that's a, you know, a drink or food. Um, and if something does happen, 
eh. Yeah. It's not, it's, you know, it's not 9-11. It's yeah. not, it's yeah. not, it's not the end of the world. Also, if you politely let your server know, if you like call your server over and tell them politely that something's wrong, they'll usually go way out of their way to fix it for exactly. you. Exactly. If you're nice to them. Exactly. Listen, I can't tell you how many times I've said this. Or someone will come in, for instance, last night. It's like, hey, Vinny, there's a, there's two uh, uh, prices for the this uh, Chardonnay. What, what should I charge them? I go, are they cool? They're really nice. We'll charge them the cheaper Cheap price then. Exactly. I mean, it, it, th- that that happens so many times. But but then there's so how many times it's like some assholes like, no, I, I didn't order that. What's that? And he's like, okay, I'm gonna charge you your, your 99 cents for your extra tortillas and your tacos. Like, yeah. Better, <laughs> better bubble. And, and, and also, what kind of crazy person do you have to be to treat the people who handle your food exactly like shit. exactly what kind, like, don't you think <laughs> a guy getting paid minimum wage and and just tips that you're not going to get probably from you right is just going to reach into your lemonade and grab the ice out because you said you wanted light ice instead right. of getting you a new lemonade in in the era of covid like come on now like yeah <laughs> but um you also own or owned a restaurant in Minnesota that's very successful? Right, right I was part of a, a group. Um, still still chugging along, but yeah, it's, it was high volume, um, part brewery um, in downtown Minneapolis. But yeah, it's, it's, I think when you come become a specific kind of chef, people think, or people approach you in different ways. And that was the first time someone approached me and was like, okay, we want you on the team, kind of feel, um, and it was it was it was cool. It was it was uh, I felt I felt like I was going back to my home state. I was doing something cool. I was being part of the community, that kind of thing. So yeah, it, it felt great. It felt great. And why did you decide to kind of branch out? I hated hated <laughs> hated Minnesota, man. No, really? I, I like Minnesota. I just I. It's not me. I, I I felt like I don't belong there. I feel like I belong in L.A. So we moved uh, we moved back to L.A. Especially after you leave and come back. Exactly. Like, th- th- those things that you were once so entrenched in, exactly. you no longer fit in them anymore. Right, exactly. And it was, it was different. Like, So, I, you know, my girl was with me. We had our first child. She's from Santa Monica. We're in mi- mid-February, and it's the art, whatever they call it, the Arctic vortex or whatever. And it, oh. it never got above, like, negative 40 in you know, St. Paul, Minneapolis. So, like. Having a newborn, you know, negative 50 degree weather isn't, isn't ideal. <laughs> yeah. And me working, you know, 18 hour days, seven days a week also isn't ideal. So it's like, eh, if we have this chance, then we'll go back to, you know, 75 and sunny next to the beach. Why not? Isn't it crazy that people used to live there like before there was heat in homes? Right. They would just be like, bundle up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Get the extra blankets. <laughs> Absolutely insane. But then, but then the opposite too. People don't realize in the summertime in Minnesota, it's 105 with you know 80 percent humidity. Yeah. So it's like there's such a different level. You know, just. <sighs> and then kind of going back to the original question as to why you got into cooking, where yeah. you kind of saw these misfits in the kitchen. Totally. Were, were, you, were you a misfit? I was definitely a misfit. Um, you know, I, I, I'm. Adopted Korean in a 500,000, you know, town in middle of Minnesota. Um, definitely a misfit, you know, and, and uh, as I got older, I kind of went into, got into the, okay, I'm in part of the, maybe the artsy type people. And then I kind of got into, I'm the weed smoker. <laughs> and so that definitely kind of put me into that misfit kind of group. Um and then my whole high school experience, I think I, I graduated early because I was like, fuck this. I don't like, I know what I'm going to do. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be here any longer. And 
I just, I got a job working at a bakery, and I was like, let's do it, let's go, you know. And I think that's another thing people don't realize is how intense or how much it goes into making bread. Right, right. Yeah, baking. Um, so I had a high school job <clears throat> when I was in high school. I woke up at 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning, and I was a bagel baker. I don't know how I got this job, but I can't remember how I went for an interview, but um, the owner ended up, like, loving me, and he would, like, pay me cash. First, I started off, like, being – I was a weekend baker, so it was a full-time Monday through Friday baker. It was, like, this old, like, 80-degree – or 80-year-old, you know, grandma, and she was, like, had this hunchback. But – <laughs> Once I kind of got into it, I was like, oh, I can do this. This is great. You know, like I have to be by myself. I don't have to talk to other people. I can really focus on doing what I want. I can kind of manage my time of how I want to want and whatever. And so I became, I was, you know, the baker. And so on Friday, Saturday nights, I would go party 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the morning, whatever. I'd pass out my car or I'd just go pass out, go back to work, pass out on the flour sacks and wake up and do the shit, you know, bake the bagels, (laughs) go to a school, come back in the afternoon and bake the dough for the next day. Um, and it was something that I really appreciated. And I think because I got a little bit of, you know, a pat on the back, like you're doing a great job. This is awesome. I think the owner in the in previous had problems filling that position because of the hours and because how kind of stressful it was. And I was like, this is great. You know, I don't have to talk to people. I don't have to work with other people. I know what I can do. I know what needs to be done. And there's a little bit of freedom to, as far as, you know, specials and that kind of thing. So to, to play around with, so I, I, I dug it. Did you go to culinary school, or did you? Is your all your experience through? I did. Go, I did go to culinary school, um, but I would say if someone be, is interested in you know getting into the industry, I would say definitely get ex- hand, first hand hands on experience first, and then if you really, really, really you know this is for me, and this is, I kind of want to move up, then I would say go to school. I see a lot of people going to school at the beginning and then have no real experience, and they get into a kitchen, and you know Jose over there is taking his hot hot uh tongs and they you know scolding your ass and doing all these you know you know whatever tricks and yeah you know joey from martha's vineyard is going to walk out of the walk out of the <laughs> yeah back, that, that's the one door. big difference i think between the front and the back of the house guys is like with the the, the, the people who become actual chefs not right, just right. Cooks, i think they pretty much all need to go to culinary school right right whereas i don't think i've ever worked with a bartender that has a bartender's license totally yeah, what's, for sure what's did, that bartending school like you yeah. see in like <laughs> I, it's so funny people always ask so like what did you go to bartending school like no that's for fucking losers <laughs> yeah. fucking jerk off if, if i owned a restaurant and a bartender came in and he had a, some kind of certificate i'd fucking walk say <laughs> kick rocks out. pal yeah. i think i'm a fucking nerd exactly i think i've seen that like two or three times and that's what exactly what you know management team was like no Next, like, what, you know, why would you put that on your resume? I went to bartending school. (laughs) But, yeah, I agree. Like, if you want to kind of climb the ranks, get out of, especially get out of the hourly pay and get into a salary position, definitely culinary school helps. It doesn't doesn't mean that it's necessary because I've seen a lot of people, you know, go from dishwasher to sous chef, and then all of a sudden they're chef cuisine executive chef just based on experience, you know. And if you find find a good mentor um, or a, or good group of people to kind of cling on to. It, it happens more often than not. Why do you think there's a certain kind of mold of a chef? Mm. I, I feel like there's a certain kind of mold. Maybe it's just because the ones that are publicized to us. But for me, when I when I think chef, I I do think tattoos, fucking lunatic, yeah. temper, intense, right. perfectionists, kind of just like always looks like he's like had a rough night's sleep. Totally, you know? totally, totally. Um, Man, that kind of hits home because, like, I try not to be that, but 
in the moment. You're not. You're actually the exception. And but in the in it, I maybe ten years ago or five years ago, I've I've been that person, but I've tried not to be, mm-hmm. um, because I think it's a different. Uh, com- communication is huge in the kitchen, you know, whether it's English, Spanish, you know, English, English, Spanish, Spanish, whatever. Um, but it's huge. And I think you, if you communicate and, and learn to, okay, this is what's going to go on. I need you to do this and you need, you need me to do that. Let's, let's make it work rather than no, or yes, or yes, chef, or you don't chef, you know, all that kind of stuff. A lot of times, especially at this restaurant, I'm, I haven't told people, but I'm, I don't, whatever i'll respond to it but i i don't like to be called chef you know what i mean oh, like, you must hate me then <laughs> i'm fucking yes chef no chef all day I, I came to a military school i just i just right, right. i operate best that way i but don't know that when i come to this restaurant i think that's what it was set up in the past and i kind of got that right away but like it's a cultural thing or it's a, just kind of how it operates <laughs> but yeah I, I, i'm i'm more of, i think i had a chef called once that said chino you know like <laughs> <laughs> wait but why don't you like the um the chef like being called chef i don't know i think for me it's just more of a like part of me is a t- type a personality but then i would say 70 percent of me is not so i think that kind of overrides it too much formality yeah yeah too okay. much formality i don't want to be uh, i feel like in a business that kind of shirks formality behind like, exactly I, I like my my opinion on your question not that i'd know but it's like i don't think a normal person can go through that career totally it is why chefs are like that right I, you know you're going to work a dog shit job for at least five years to do something where you have to come in like seven days a week mm-hmm. and work 16, 18 yeah, hours. Exactly. So the guy who's work, guy who works the nine to five. So he has health insurance and decent pay and a company car. Isn't the same guy who can be a chef. Exactly. Like you, you can't live that life. Yeah. And the chef, you know, some days there's, you know, I walk into a, Oh shit, the ice machine is broken or, you know, the, the steam table's not working or, you know, Juan's sister or Juan and his sister got in a car accident. So I don't have a, a, a salad cook and a line cook, yeah. you know, for that service. Or, you know, there's so many different things that you have to, you know, pivot into adjust in, in kitchens. And I think chefs go from being like a handyman to a babysitter to a line cook to a dishwasher to a prep cook to a teacher all within like, you know, their first 10 minutes of, you know, quote-unquote clocking in you know were you always so calm even when like because i think the last two nights have been the first two nights i think i've seen you kind of be somewhat aggressive yeah raise my voice yeah yeah yeah. i think uh, i've been a calm but i think i try to use my experience of when to turn that on you know what i mean because i think you also have to read who you're communicating with so like a lot of times i'll i know that you know Cook A responds better when they're like, come on, you fucking asshole. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. But yeah. then Cook B responds better like, okay, next time let's, let, let, let's do it like this. You know, like, we're, yeah. we're going to hold our hand, you know, that, that kind of thing. So you have to really understand of who you're talking to. And I think when you talk to a group of people, the stronger kind of authority or voice um, works better in my, in my experience. Mm-hmm. There, there's definitely at, like at bars and restaurants, there's a uh, learning curve of, like I, I started in college bars, and mm-hmm. I remember the, the first time I realized that I could just be rude to the customers. <laughs> right, exactly. You're just like yes. I, like I thought, I was like, oh wait a minute, like these are college kids. If they're being a dick, I can just be really rude back, and nothing's gonna happen. <laughs> exactly. And I took that too far. For a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it a little too much, and then, like eventually you realize, okay, sh- save those for the moments it's really needed. Right, right. Or, <laughs> or like 
I, I want to make a little bit more than you know, hundred bucks tonight. You know that kind of <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, do that to one person a week, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, we were talking, I guess, kind of before this started, and we kind of wanted to get back. Oh, actually, no. Before we get to that, you have a really. Uh, I mean, I, now it's funny, funny oyster story. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was I was I was working for this. I'm not going to name the company. I'm working for this big. Um, national, uh, but it's a higher end kind of concept is seafood restaurant. Um, I, I was hired as a line cook in Minneapolis. I think within two or three months, they promoted me to a sous chef. And then within six months, they promoted me and moved me to Chicago to become a operation chef. Um, and my kind of, I guess, job title was to go around the country opening restaurants. And I think I opened anywhere. I don't, know the exact number, anywhere from 35 to 45 different restaurants in maybe seven, eight years. But yeah, I, I was, I kind of, you know, in the middle of it, it was, I felt like I was a shit, you know, this is great. I was traveling, I was, you know, here's your expense report, here's your company car, here's your shit, you know, you walk into each new location and everyone's like bowing to you, thinking you're God, you know, kind of thing, and that gets to your head every once in a while. But yeah, I was I was doing a presentation in downtown Chicago and, and going through all of our different oysters that we had. I think we've ever purchased in the past like four years, and it's in front of a group, uh, uh, probably a thousand, two thousand people. And I was being super cocky, not using a towel. I was using a the standard uh, you know oyster shucker. It's a basically like a letter opener. You know, and yeah. it's a really just blunt, dull kind of thing. And I can't remember, I was, it's probably like the 20th or the, no, it's less than that, maybe like the 15th or 16th different oyster. And it's just an East Coast oyster, Rappahannock Bay, <clears throat> very thin shelled, kind of shelly or flaky. Uh, flaky, that's a very good term, um, you know, oyster shell. And I stuck it in and it was like, <coughs> and I could immediately know that I went, I missed the shell and went straight into my palm. <sighs> And I just burned. I remember this, the pain shot up to my, my like neck and my shoulder. And I was like, ugh. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? And I kept on telling about the description. Oh, this is a great oyster. You know, very briny. <laughs> it's small, but it's, it works well because, because it's small. You know, you don't, East Coast oysters don't get that tide. So that's mostly submerged in water. And I was going on, 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 on. I could, finally got off it. I was kind of walking around the stage. The, the knife is still in my hand. I pull it out. And I could just, just immediately, like, squirting blood like just <laughs> it's like jesus christ so long story short they called me in an ambulance i had to go to the 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 hospital that night and it, it was bad it was real bad <laughs> <laughs> well then also because uh oysters have something that's kind of like poisonous to humans they're like, ah, I might take your hands off. Exactly. They're worried. What? They're worried. So I had all these different shots that get, got it right away. And they're like, how long, how long, you know, since this happened, you know, da, 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 da. They were worried about getting in a crazy infection from the, from the, really? the oyster. Exactly. Like gangrene or Exactly. Something? So they're really worried about that, me taking off my <laughs> hand. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> now, Pat, uh, when you shuck oysters, what is something I say that you should do that you don't do? Use a towel? Yes. Here's what I've never done, though. What? Cut myself. <laughs> I, I'm a what hundred, a jerk off. I'm what a, an absolute <laughs> clown. We have a chef I'm here a of like 20 years. I'm shocked. Yes. And so is he. And no, so he's is not. He. he missed one. <laughs> he was. And he almost lost a fucking hand. Okay. 
Yeah, oysters are oysters are fun, but yeah, definitely now I will definitely use a oyster <laughs> or a, a towel 100 percent of the time, and probably 98 percent of the time I'm gonna put the oyster down on the table too. Yeah, yeah. Do it that way. He really doubted my shucking abilities. Though. He, <laughs> you you thought listen, I wouldn't no, even no, be no. able to do it. Listen, wait. Right. But then there's but then there's like. There's shucking. Uh, what's the super classic oyster that everyone? Eats? There's um, so something bay. Blue point. Blue, blue point. point. So, so yeah. So there's Long Island. You can you can shuck a blue. I can shuck a blue point. You know, with my eyes closed. Yeah. But then there you can. But then you go to some of these weird Japanese and Washington State and some of these up in Vermont and whatever uh, different styles and the. They're so small and they're so fragile. And well, that's you know. the thing. I'm padding my stats over here with nothing but blue points. <laughs> right. Well, fleets and blue point oysters. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm only taking wide open jumpers. <laughs> I'm right under the basket. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then, uh, well, actually, real quick, just this is more more so for me. Um, I mean, I, I love to cook. I've kind of got obsessed with it. Yeah. But I, I'm pursuing a different career. I, I want to. I would like to do acting, stand up. Mm. But I also would like to do a job that I prefer. Or, you know, just enjoy better than bartending and stuff. Sure. Um, obviously, it's too late for me to go to culinary school because I'm just, I think I'm too old and I don't have enough money and I already have student loans for a degree that I'm already not using. Sure. Is there anything I could, like, do you think? Um, With the bartending experience, you know, uh, you, you already have the one foot in the door in the restaurant, you know, world. I, I would say... If you really want to get into it, try to get a job in a kitchen. See if someone will give you a shot, and then just go from there. Um, but a lot of times, and if you're already one step into the restaurant, hey, you know our salad guy is in jail for <laughs> so long, or <laughs> which whatever. is not far fetched, not <laughs> at all. And a lot of times, I see management saying, "Okay, you, you're going to be the salad guy tonight." You know what the fuck? But that happens often, more often than not. You mm -hmm. know. <laughs> um, but if you really want to get into it, you know, like hey. F find an find uh, an intern internship or find a a, a shitty ten dollar job somewhere just yeah. to kind of get your foot in the door, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I guess kind of uh, in closing, we'll, we'll, we'll close with some uh, some. Wait, let's talk about the the Fabro story. Well, I know, Patty. Well, that, that was that was that was, that was the, the uh, in closing. Okay, that, that was that was the preface. I got worried. <laughs> I got worried. Patty, you gonna worry over Vince? Come on. I, sometimes <laughs> I mean pizza and gnocchi tonight. It was delicious. <laughs> We're drinking fucking vanilla. Oh, you're so worried about your career counseling over here. I thought you might have forgotten about the story. Believe me, Patty. I, 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 <laughs> fucking cool as a cucumber. Um, so not not to talk shit or you know some uh, cheese may as the uh, the, the sure. back of the house would say. Sure. Um, so we, we were just kind of shooting the shit before the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were kind of just shooting the shit before this thing started. We're eating, and uh, it turns out you know I guess you have so there's, there's a, a chef that I uh, like liked uh, uh, Roy Choi who is the owner of uh, Kogi and a bunch of other places. Best friend in Las Vegas, and you know he kind of uh, was the. Um, uh, liaison or like kind of assistance to the movie Chef with right. John Favreau. Right. And I guess you kind of have kind of a little bit of a backstory. A little bit of backstory, yeah. So uh, I worked at one of Roy's restaurants. Actually, this is weird. I opened the restaurant as a server, as a front of the house server. Hmm. Um, I was in, in, I was living in Venice at the time, uh, in between jobs. Really didn't need to work. And one of my friends was like, "Hey, why don't you, you know, Roy Choi's opening this new spot?" And I was like, "Oh, sweet." Went to the interview and they're like. Why you? Why you? Why you want to be in the front of the house? You know, you all your experiences in back of the house management. I'm like, why not? Let's do it. And they're like, we love that attitude. Let's go for it. So I kind of went with it. Um, I can't remember what happened. I, 
I think I got a, a, job, a real job offer and I took it. Um, and a, a place in Abikini and then whatever. For some, or that's when I, we went to. Oh fuck, I can't remember. Anyways, I came back to Sunny Spot as management, and that's when the whole chef thing came on. So Roy was bringing John into the restaurant off, uh, like you know, two hours, three hours out of the night, just to kind of get experience of what goes on in the kitchens. But yeah, uh, it was interesting to see that happen, you know. And uh, you were saying, what was my opinion on Roy? And and what da da da. I think Roy's a was kind of breaking the mold as far as you know social media goes. But as he blew up, his his in touchness with his kitchens fell off. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't blame him. But also too, like people always have this kind of. Um, standpoint or view on him, which I think is completely the opposite. That's just my opinion of seeing what happens on the back side of things. Um, he he's extremely, you know, he's he's done well for himself for a reason. There's success isn't you know doesn't come easy. So I think he uh, he obviously did something right. Yeah, is it weird kind of when a celebrity comes into the kitchen? Is everyone kind of just like, what the fuck? I mean, are they for it? Or are they are they against it? I think in that setting, like ninety percent of the people like had no idea who he was. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he's not like, who is this chef? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. for like, yeah, for six guys born in Mexico, they have no idea who John Favreau exactly, is exactly. Like, until the latest Iron Man movie. Swingers. Came out. <laughs> <laughs> so then they're trying to like so. Ju- uh, Roy was trying to have John like, okay, you're gonna be the fry guy tonight, like, you know. And this restaurant, the fry guy got fucked, like, worked. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So you're making all these different things, and like, I remember John was getting burned, and like he 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 couldn't hold his towel, he couldn't forget about his towel, and then Ugh. the line cooks would just get pissed off, and they're just like all that kind of stuff. So there's that learning curve, and then there's the learning curve of, of okay, this is actually how things operate in kitchens. A server goes to a POS terminal, they punch something in, a ticket prints out to each station, and that's the thing that you have to cook. And I think in a lot of people's minds, they see the Gordon Ramsay like, okay, fire this, fire this, fire that, fire that. So, like, you know, John was kind of playing up that as a joke, but then, it, you know, you can't really joke when you're in, you know, when you're in it, you know. Especially seven, when he's not in charge. Yeah, and it's 7.30 on a Friday night, and, you know, your tickets are just constantly printing on the printer, and it's like, Jesus Christ, come on now, like. Yeah, there's nine guys who know what they're doing, and John Favreau. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and he's just fucking it all up. <laughs> so did, did he, like, the first, you said he was there for, like, six weeks? Yeah, something like that. Did he, I'm assuming the first week or so was kind of a disaster? Yeah, he just kind of like stood around with his hands on his hips and was like, okay, I know what I'm doing. Or he was just kind of observing and kind of just chit-chatting, you know, like, I'm John Favreau. Like, yeah. where do, where was do he, I sign? You was know, he, was kind he of nice? Was he kind of like pompous? Yeah, a little bit of both. I think he's def- there's definitely a personality with him, but also too, like, you could tell he wanted to learn, but he just didn't have the skills too, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um and so how long did, so for the first week he just observed? Kind of, yeah. He, he would, you know, okay, let's let's make a salad, you know, like yeah. grab some. But like when it was slow, probably. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But like, he, he you know, he's a smart guy. So he's kind of like, okay, well, what's in this? And how do I do it? And then, but then like as a cook, you set up for the next thing, which that didn't happen. So like, it's kind of like, how do I, a good analogy would be like, um, you know, like a, an open heart surgeon coming in to do like a, a surgery on like a camel or, you know what I mean? So like, it's, it's kind of similar, but not, you know, like so you're not really in it, but you are, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. 
Um, yeah, he's just a different. There was no experience prior to that. If that yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like when you see like a, a great pitcher throws like he'll, he'll throw the high fastball so that then he can hit you with the change up low and right. you have no idea what's coming. Exactly. As opposed to like some guy who can just throw hard. Right. Exactly. Like he, you might know how to chop onions. Right. Right. But it doesn't mean you know how to do it efficiently to set yourself up for the next task that you need to do. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, exactly. with you know cooking, uh, not so much like the uh, organization and setup part, but you know it's, you know time temperature technique right right it's kind of like mastering all three of those and the, and the technique portion i think could almost refer to the technique in which you use to cook things but also the, t- the technique in which you use to set up yourself for success right right and then there's the whole like where's the salt where's yeah. Where, yeah. Do, where do i find this where do i find that you know what is the third pan what is the sixth pan you know does it need to be covered does it need to be fridge you know all that kind of just kind of common knowledge restaurant people know this guy didn't know so yeah. it's like it's right there. Go, you know, so like <laughs> yeah. your second time of answering these questions, you're just like, shut the fuck up. Like, go away. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Did he ever catch up and get like kind I, of welcomed in? Towards, towards the end, I, I think. I think, when, you know, when the, I remember him being on the saute line and just like, I was like, wow, you made it through like first 10 minutes of service. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Did he ever have to like tap out? Uh, I think he did, but like. It was planned, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So Roy would be like, "Listen, work like five busy minutes, and then." But there'd always be like four other people behind him too, like you know, like okay, yeah, I got it. Don't worry, you know, that kind of. But thing. I don't. I guess I can understand how that's helpful for someone creating a movie to kind of. Well, uh, I think he was. I think in John's mind, he was worried about like, okay, how do cooks hold their towels? That's a big thing in kitchens. How do you wear your apron? How do you? Why do you roll up your your pants? Um, Why is that? Just because it's hot it's as fuck. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> Why is there a box of cornstarch down there? Because I need to powder Your my balls. Exactly. Oh, dude, I used to, when we first opened the farm, dude. When we first opened the farm, it was the wild west. <laughs> totally. And I was a food runner. Okay. And we would do like 300 covers a night. Yeah. All on the deck. Yeah. And it was just a turn and burn. And I would work seven days a week. Yeah. And. It was, I remember one time, uh, this was when Chef Dane, if you're listening, hey, what's up, Chef? He was working, and he was like a, a like a crazy fuck. Yeah. He, he, I'd be like, hey, Chef, that's kind of, is that for table? Shut the fuck up. And you're like, yeah, Chef. <laughs> and I remember one time, it was dead of August. We're sweating our balls off, and he's like, he's like, I, I, I put uh, cornstarch in my balls. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like uh, is this like one of your fucking fetishes? He's like, no, no, no. no. He's like, do it when I get back. You'll see why. And I was just a fucking swamp, and I put cornstarch in my balls, and it was... It's not no chafing. You're, it was you're fine. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was amazing, yeah. <laughs> exactly. They're just different tricks, like, um, why do you put ice, or why do you put salt on your ice when you're chilling things out? Because it makes it cold, you know, just yeah. random yeah. things like that, you know, like... Raises the melting temperature. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, uh, do you think that he did a good job with that movie? Did you see it? I did. I can't remember. It's been a while. Um, I, my first thing that comes to mind was like pretty cool. I think just because I saw there's a lot of, Oh, I used to work there. Oh, I know where that is. Oh, I know that kind of thing. Um, but it's chef. It's the movie chef, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not going to win any war. You yeah, know, like. yeah. <laughs> if you were to make a cooking movie or a movie involving a chef, is there, is there one kind of plot to, uh, and maybe it's a little spark an idea. There's one book I actually just bought of, uh, Anthony Bourdain's. The, and I, I would love to make it into a movie. Yeah. And it's yeah. basically the premise is, uh, I it's, it's called, um, oh, fuck, I forgot the name, but basically it's, it's about this kid who works in little Italy, just graduated from culinary school. He owns a restaurant 
or he works in a restaurant and the mafia want to arrange a hit at his restaurant. Mm. And, and it's I, like during San, San Janeiro or what's that? What's the holiday? San, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that would make for an amazing plot, but it's like being a chef, like, is there like kind of a plot that you think would kind of like know. hold true? I don't know. Just working in restaurant industries for so long, you like, you see it all. So like, uh, I don't know. Like, do you see like your dishwasher banging like some <laughs> chick at the bar at one night? Probably I've seen that, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> um, you know, doing lines of Coke in the dry storage off of number, number 10 cans of tomatoes. I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like a good cooking movie would almost have to be like a good, uh, boxing movie. It'd have to be very little about actual, like, exactly. in, the, in the kitchen exactly. and in the ring. It's more about and, the lifestyle. And more so the lifestyle. lifestyle. And, and the kind of person that kind of is drawn to this. Totally. Lifestyle and or, like, what like what's what's happening? You know, is it a relationship? Is it is it a... Is there money? Is there mafia? Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. Totally, yeah. So, now, I know you said 10 years ago you're a completely different person. And you're kind of like the guy's like, just fucking just eat it as I want it, you know? Right, right. What, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Do you see yourself cooking? Do you see yourself owning more restaurants? Yeah, I've always said, um, you know, people have approached me in the, pa- in, in the past recently, like, hey, do you want to be involved in this or I'm doing this or whatever? I'm like, I told myself, I'm like, I'm probably not going to go into ownership or ownership group until I'm 40 plus, maybe 45 plus, just based on my, I have two young kids. Um, and I think it's just a good time. Like right now, I think I'm still... A little too young, you know what I mean? Like, it's you, yeah, you don't want to take you. Don't, you don't want to be working seven days a week, right? Exactly, and also too, like, just from a different standpoint of it, the, your perception as a restaurant owner is different. If I'm now versus I'm forty-five or fifty, you know, it just sure. it's a different for what it is. It's the culture, you know what I mean? And I get it, you know. Um, if you could work for one chef right now, who would it be? Very good question. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I would pro- wow. I would probably go to like something crazy. Like uh, Alinea? No, I no. won't go. I won't go find anything at all. He was actually he came. Grant was in the restaurant in, in Malibu. Uh, no way. We're having a manager meeting, and I, Susie is obsessed with chefs. And I was like, Susie, do you see who that is? Was Wait, Grant. really? When was he there? It was pre-COVID. Oh, okay. It was probably like my first two or three weeks there. Oh shit! Yeah, and his wife or girlfriend is just like you know a, t- a 28 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah he uh I, I knew it was him right away but he had a big scar on it yeah on his on his throat and he can't taste it all anymore mm. and he's a chef who can't taste yeah they ordered fish tacos and something in the fish tacos the pizza and nachos something super simple <laughs> and we told the server i can't remember the server was and we sent them a free piece a free piece of chocolate cake and as soon as i saw the cake go i was just like no oh god it was like shit oh, no well just like you did, it's just funny. Like, <laughs> I, th- I thought I thought his his his, his came back. Um, Wait, sorry, I'm maybe sorry. it came back. I'm not w- sure. What's his name again? Grant Alstrit or Al, Al, I can't pronounce the last name. It's yeah, like, but so basically, he's a chef. He's a, he owns Alinea in Chicago, and it is one of the most amazing restaurants in the world. It uh, he's a chef. It's a fine dining restaurant, and every dish there's some extremely crazy element to the dish so for instance for dessert there'll be a floating balloon and the balloon is made of sugar and you'll pop the balloon and then sugar or they'll uh the the table will be literally a canvas and they'll make kind of an abstract 
uh, painting, and everything will be made of food. And it's 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 an absolutely go to go to Chef's Table and look up Alinea Chef Grant. I forget his old all stretch. Or yeah. All crunch, yeah. But anyway, he uh, he's opening Alinea, um, and he basically starts losing his taste. Has like really bad like headaches. Like he's like I think it's like his tongue is killing him. Mm-hmm. Long story short, he finds out he has some kind of rare cancer yep. that has like he has like a ninety percent chance of dying. Yep. They do some weird fucking thing, and. For months and months, he was he was sending food out that he couldn't taste. He was, he was just trusting on. I mean, he has a, a staff that's right, like right, right. all of them could ha- be restaurants. And it's you know. crazy. Another st- kind of backstory too. So, at the same restaurant I was t- telling you about the oysters, one of the restaurants in Chicago that I was working at, I had a prep cook, and his name was Jenner Tomat, or I forget his last name, but his name is Jenner. And so he's a prep cook of mine. And I was like, dude, this kid fucking is awesome. He's he wants to learn. He's eager. He's Young, he's running around doing all this shit, and me and the other chef were just like Jenner, like Jenner's awesome. Like we're just kind of like we joke around with him, but he's just like the super young kid. Fast forward ten years, he's chef de cuisine at Grant's restaurant Next. So that, wow. so first they had Alinea, and then Next came along, and Next was even supposed to be like Alinea, te- you know, two point So he became chef de cuisine of that. Wow. And he, I think he just, I saw on Instagram, he. Um, him and his girl are going to open a place in Lincoln Park very soon. Hell yeah. Yeah. You still haven't answered the question, though, if you could work for one chef. Right, right. That's true. Right, 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 right. Oh, man. I would go to more, like, what do I want to learn? So, like, I've one time I tried to learn how to make burrata, and it was the hardest, most frustrating thing I've ever learned in my life. So I would probably want to learn how to do something like that, whether it's okay. making burrata or making making soy sauce or, you know, something, some ancient kind of like yeah. thing that like people take for granted. That's what I would want to learn. Well, dude, I, I had a dream and I, I actually really want to, I had a dream or, that <laughs> I was uh, a buffalo mozzarella <laughs> there, farmer there, there and, and Joe Pesci was my instructor. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tremendous dream. Right, right. When this started, he tried to convince me that we should move to Italy. Yeah. And like, I'm like, dude, you would kill yourself now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen, yeah. listen, Breck, me and you, we moved to Italy for a year. Yeah. And we, we just make mozzarella. There you we, go. We, we have a great fucking time. Exactly, exactly. Right. Maybe, maybe I guess to put names out there, uh, like Jeremy Fox is doing a really cool thing in Santa Monica right now. I think uh, there's a lot of th- cool things going on in Austin, Texas right now. There's a lot of cool things going on in Oregon. Um, uh, what's that dude's name? And there's a cool chef in Houston that's doing some cool stuff. But yeah, I think I think nowadays like it's not who you want to work for, it's who you want to work with cuz a lot of people a lot of the younger crowd is kind of like, "Okay, let's partner up. Let's do a little collab kind of mm-hmm. thing or I come I'll bring my concept to your restaurant, you're going to bring your concept to my restaurant, we'll just do a little boom, boom kind mm-hmm. of thing." Have you, you guys heard of the meatball shop in Brooklyn? No. No. Um, but they partnered up with Roy back in the day. So oh, cool. w- there's a meat, meatball shop in Venice for a while. And, hmm. uh, what's another, just kind of that kind of thing is, I think is becoming more available, I guess. Yeah. That's cool. Nice. Yeah. Well, listen, man, it's been a great hour. We yeah. appreciate you coming over. Hopefully you enjoyed yourself. For sure. For Thanks sure. for bringing that delicious wine. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And, uh, any like, um, Instagram you want to plug or something like that uh, or rest- I, Yeah. No, I'm not in that. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> that's, that's what I figured. But, uh, anyway, man, we appreciate it. And, uh, yeah. I'll see you soon at work. For sure. Let's go. Bye, guys. Thanks.